Hello, hello everyone. Let me get set up. Okay, so today we're chatting about binging. So this has come up a lot. I mean, it's always a popular topic, right? Um, it's just so interwoven into what we deal with. Um, and I think there's such a point of shame. And my hope for today is to be able to kind of talk about the different forms of binging, you know, um, because it is such a, a shame point. I think we might, some of us might think we binge and we're, we don't, some of us might not realize that we binge, you know, so my hopes are in talking about the different behaviors and triggers and patterns and stuff like that today. So if you resonate with anything that I discussed, because today's call is pretty info dense, um, at least the long winded way I wrote my notes is, um, I do want you guys to be interacting in the chat. I just won't be answering back specific questions as much on this call, but I, I do encourage you to text them to me because I do wanna still have that conversation. I just wanna make sure we cover everything and this isn't a hard uh, listen when we put it up as a recording, okay? So keep it coming in the chat though, all right? I'll, I'll get back to it when I can. So let's start with a question, as I tell you, not to answer in the chat, but let's start with a question. What do you consider binging to be? In your own words, if you had to describe what binging is, what would you think it to be? Tell me in lay chat. Because we all have like the Hollywood binge, right? Like the nutty professor scene where he's like crying into like the bin of ice cream, like surrounded by food. That's like the Hollywood idea of binging, right? But let's see what you're saying in the chat. Eating until I feel like I'm gonna pop, a loss of control, doing something a lot more than average, mm -hmm. out of control, mindless eating, followed by guilt. And Corley, I like, and also Carly, um, I like there that that could be applied, either a loss of control or doing something more than the average could be applied to a lot of different um, like mechanisms. It doesn't have to be food necessarily, you know? So good point there. Um, <clears throat> So now, you know, not the Hollywood binge isn't the only binge we got. It's not, it's, and not for nothing, thin people cry into the ice cream too. So it's not exclusively something that like, oh my God, you have, you have no control over yourself, right? It's just the connotation of it. Um, but what I find most helpful is to figure out what the, what kind of a binger quote unquote you are is to first just try to look at the binge triggers. Because I think that if we try to make it about like a disorder, let's say, or would or not let it be a spectrum like it is, you know, it becomes a very black and white thing and it makes it hard to connect to. Does anyone relate to that? It feels like sometimes I feel like I'm bingey, but I just don't feel like I, I have a binge problem, let's say. There's a lot of different uh, facets, levels. So, okay. This scares people, right? But when you try to eliminate binging, you first have to completely eliminate restriction. And that scares a lot of people. So if I told you guys, I want you to eliminate any restriction. I want you to eat whatever it is you want, however much you want, whenever you want, no holds bar. How many people are like, um, as I'm saying that? <laughs> It sounds nuts, right? Like that's that's so uh, you know counterintuitive. 
But that very feeling that if we gave ourselves that permission, it would immediately mean that we would hoard all the food and eat all of the bad things. That is all there because of diet culture, because of all the times we have told ourselves to be good. All of those things, it creates that, you know, like it feels like a dam that's about to explode, you know? And, and sometimes that the dam gets rebuilt every week, every day, every few hours, you know, it depends on the person and it just feels like it's gonna go, right? Like you can't control it, but that's not what ends up happening. What ends up happening is all the emotional charging of food is eliminated. And I'm not gonna lie, I mean, yeah, first people do enjoy, they eat ice cream for the first time because they want ice cream. They're gonna eat it anyway at the end of the week in a binge, but instead they go, I'm gonna have ice cream today. And at first that feels really foreign when you call the shots on what you're eating. But when you start to realize that when you do this, the frequency becomes much less. The size maybe becomes much less. You start opening, you know, broadening your horizons to try other food. In the long run, in the big grand scheme of things, that leads to more consistency, having that freedom than not. Not having that freedom consistently keeps you on the up and the down and the up and the down and the guilt and the stress that follows food. It turns one food thing that might not be the best thing for your blood sugars, right? Into like three days worth. So there's so much more power behind, you know, um, food has so much more power over us when we're restricting, even though we think it's the opposite. And I don't binge and purge, so it's not a problem, right? I see someone says there in the chat, absolutely, that's a fantastic point. We like to play the pain Olympics, you know, where it's not that bad, it can't be that, but you know, I think, like I said, spectrum, there's facets to this. And I'm not, I, I doubt that someone who struggled with binging and purging got right there, you know, like, so there's steps to this too. And I think all of it has to do with our psychology. All of it is about up here, all of it. So I am going to tell you guys about something probably a lot of you have heard, but I'm going to say it again. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Minnesota starvation experiment. My favorite thing. I remember reading it and it changed my life. Like it literally changed my entire life. My, my mind, like my autism is very pattern focused. I need to understand the mechanisms of something. Um, it makes me understand everything about it when I understand the way something works. And when it comes to the Minnesota starvation experiment, understanding that our brains have been manipulated by a lot of different things to screw us out of a relationship with food that makes us forever feel like we don't even know how to feed ourselves. It just changed my whole life. Like I've, I've been, I grew up like a chubby child. Um, I got diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was seven, I almost died. I lost a ton of weight, but then once I got put on insulin and I was like healthy and living again, I just gained weight. I soon after was diagnosed with PCOS and Hashimoto's, um, and then many, many other illnesses. I was a sick kid, right? So I always was quote unquote overweight, um, my whole life, no matter what I tried, that didn't mean that I didn't diet. Like, I remember being eight years old and telling my mom I didn't want sugar in my, like, tea or something because that was fattening. Like, I have been, a key, like, not because, like, I'm a diabetic and I got to watch my blood sugars, but fattening. The term fattening. So, anyway, Minnesota, Minnesota starvation experiment. 
for those of you who don't know it. Um, it was a study done back in the days where they did really messed up studies that gave us a lot of really messed up information. So they took a bunch of guys that were like the epitome of health, mentally, physically, never had a record of dieting or anything like that. They did personality tests on them. They did deep psych evaluations. They interviewed their families. Like they made sure that all their interpersonal relationships were seemingly good. I mean, as much as they could check that these people in, in the forties, that these people were quote unquote clean slates. Okay. But they took like the last person you'd suspect would have been, ever been on a diet. They wanted to see what would happen because they were, um, you know, they were rescuing a lot of camps and stuff, liberating a lot of camps. So they, they had no idea the effect of starvation at that point. They didn't know what would happen if you hyper-restricted someone's food and then gave them access to that food again, what that would do to the body. So they did this study to figure it out. And over the course of, I forget the numbers, but I will share the link. Um, it's like 16 weeks or whatever. They started cutting back their calories little by little by little. And they started observing the patterns, the behaviors, their health, how it changed. And this blew my mind because I cannot tell you since a young age, I thought over 800 calories a day was too much. Little ass girl. And I thought, oh, I don't want to be a fat girl. You know, like it was just so ingrained in me. Um, they cut their calories down to 2,500 and like they continued cutting them down. But once they got to 2,500, they started noticing that people's behavior became aggressive. They started forming weird patterns with their foods. They started getting paranoid with other people and having body image issues out of nowhere. Okay. So then they continued to cut back the calories and it got worse. It got worse. It got worse. People started exhibiting depression, low cognitive ability, low memory, um, apathy for their home life outside of the study. Like it started going real bad. So they were like, okay, surely we're just going to give them the food back and it's going to make it all better. It did not make it better. Um, nobody was ever the same again after this study. One incident of just a hyper-restrictive diet changed these people's relationships with food forever. Um, one person, unfortunately, ended their life. Um, a few of them got divorced. Um, people had like a bunch of them had eating disorders or, you know, ended up not being able to maintain their weight after that. They had binge eating disorders. I mean, it just, it wrecked them. There was not one person who ended up normal after the study. They didn't have a problem maintaining their weight before the study, before they dieted. They didn't have a problem knowing what to eat and how much to eat of it. Even if it was well into the calorie range that we were told that we should be eating, they were fine. In civilizations like, I don't want to say like civilization, like countries, like in Greece and where my mom's from, right? I talk about them all the time. They have a very high concentration of people living over 100. Now, short of the sun, glorious weather, and like, you know, for what it's worth, they're, you know, not a very luxurious country, but they're a relaxed country, that's for sure. You know, um, they just, they don't count calories. They eat pretty fatty foods, like they eat whole milk. They eat cheeses. They have a pastry for breakfast. They, they like, they just live their lives. And again, there's a lot of variables. So I'm not saying that the only thing that is the difference between us and people who live in beautiful islands in Greece is the calories, but it just all kind of in my head at that time added up to here I am. I've never been sicker than when I'm trying the hardest to not be. I'm just never succeeding the way I want. Even when I lose weight, 
it's not like I, I, I just gain it back. Like, it's just, I can't live like this anymore. Here's the study showing us that we don't have to be on a diet. Like we can trust ourselves, you know, here's this example of, uh, you know, I went to Greece when I was older and I saw all these people just like living their lives. Like, it, it just all made sense to me where I was like, maybe I'm destined to be fat, but if that's the case, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to feel good. And you'll hear me say this all the time. That's when I started losing the weight, when I stopped giving a damn about it. And I think that has, that's like right in line with the Minnesota starvation experiment, right? These people never focused on dieting. They didn't have an issue. It wasn't until it was introduced into their brains that food was a method of control or reward or need and like scarcity and all of these things that rewired their natural instinct for food. Not until then did it become an issue. So I was like, if I'm fat, I'm fat. And I just kept, I just tried to like live my life, you know, understanding the things that at first I had to like get rid of the rules. You know, honestly, gluten's not hard for me because it makes me very ill, but like everything else, you know, I had to remove the rules. I had to allow myself to take more insulin if I had to, to eat something. And then I slowly started adding other things into my diet that I loved eating. And I don't, I didn't, I don't have to like check the macros on them. You know, they just have a repertoire of stuff that I like eating, you know, and it doesn't hurt me. And occasionally um, I forget, it's like no food rules on Instagram talks about sometimes you eat something for your soul, you know? So if, if I want to have something like, what's my most recent, oh, the gluten-free food yesterday, that I got gluten-free uh, chicken tenders and falafel. I haven't had like actual breaded crispy chicken tenders, gluten-free from a place that delivers. I don't even know <laughs> how long. And I was, you know, and I just, I wanted to eat them, but it wasn't like a, oh man, I ate this. Now let me eat that. Now let me do this. I'll try again Monday. That's the way it used to be when I used to feel guilty about the damn chicken tenders. You know, so it's, it's a hard concept to teach <laughs> because it's not something like, it's not like macros that you're just going to tell people like stick in this range, but that's not what we're going for here. Right. So I know it's like a big, long spiel that I went on, but I'm dying to know what you guys are thinking. So this is one of those parts. I want you to tell me in the chat, hearing all this, thinking about this, like, do you think it's crap? Do you're like, this sounds logical, but I'm scared. Like, tell me your thoughts. Because I don't know, it shouldn't be a radical way to think, but I get that it, it feels like it is. What are your thoughts as you're hearing this? My Minnesota starvation experiment. Well, I forgot I put this in my notes because my favorite question I have written here following telling you guys about the Minnesota starvation experiment. How old were you the first time you thought to change the way you eat for, for your body, for something because you deserved it? Like anytime you thought of food besides just like, I don't know, not thinking about food, just eating it. How old were you? We're usually pretty young in here. <laughs> Let's see what you're saying. I totally do this. I have one thing that isn't in line and all is lost for three days or more. Absolutely. It makes sense, but it definitely feels difficult. And it is, it is. That's why we're here. That's why we have the structure we have. You have your coaches, you have access to me as well. Um, all of you guys get a quarterly call with me too. So if you haven't booked that, done that, ask me for my Calendly. It is definitely hard. It, I, when I had that moment of like, oh my God, if I'm fat, I'm fat. I'm just gonna like do me and just live my life because this is terrible. It wasn't like 
it never went back. It, I mean, I've been at this for years. It's really hard. And I have OCD. So, and type one diabetes that relies on actively, like I couldn't like just go eat ice cream all day if I wanted, even if I was taking more insulin, you know, there is a limit. So it was definitely a balancing act and it's not easy, but it is part of why this takes so long because wouldn't it be great to work through that part and never have to do deal with it again, even if it takes you longer, but like to get to that point finally and like actually get there and maintain it without worry and like hyper thought, you know? So it's, it's not so much to say it's easy as much as it is worth it, you know? I was put on a diet in fourth grade. I've had clients who have been measured from their ankles up from childhood. Absolutely. And you know what? It's what was done to that, to their parents who were doing it. You know, same thing was done to them and so on and so on. This is, it's very generational. Um, also, and it's why I love working with my clients, especially because my hope is that you guys all pass it, pay it forward. So for those of you who have kids who think you do a fantastic job at never limiting what they're eating, never making them feel bad about food at all. If you don't extend that to yourself, those little sponges are still going to circumvent you. And they're going to say, but, but mom doesn't like food or my, my parent doesn't like eating that. And they don't like their bodies and they don't wear things. They ask how they look, if, if they look the same size as that other person. And like, they hear everything, right? Like, they're really smart. They're learning how to survive in this world. And that's what they're picking up on. It doesn't matter if you're sitting there telling them like, you shouldn't be eating that. Like if you can extend it to them, then unless you're lying to them, you got to extend it to you too, you know? So I, it's definitely hard because no one wants their kids. To, I don't say that to make people be like, Oh my God, I'm a kid. You know, like we're all here to change that, you know, but it is a, a great facet of food freedom and, and help mental health you know, is to not just have this weighing on us that we have to be good. We have to be good. You can be good without worrying about being good. You just got to work through first, right? Everybody's saying about elementary school, honestly, probably college, it really started to affect me. That's a big one too, especially for my clients who were like, they grew up maybe on the other side of things. Like I have a lot of clients who were very underweight their whole lives and then their thyroid swung the other way or they had to have it removed. And it it's like, what is this life that I've never experienced? This is horrific. Um, I don't, I don't know, which is quote unquote better or worse. I think it's all screwed. You know, um, I don't have memories of not being concerned about food, elementary school. Yeah. Siblings that have to be put on diets or siblings that are like the ideal body, quote unquote, and you're compared you know, like all of this, it, it sticks. It Minnesota starvation experiments us out the gate. So let's talk binge triggers. Okay. So to not binge, you have to build a robust relationship with food. You have to like food. Now, I don't mean that you have to be sitting there cooking up a storm. You could hate cooking and still like food. You just have to have a robust relationship with foods. You have to have a lot of experience with tasting different things to, to really know what your palate is. And that's, it's like, if we can, that's an, an amazing opportunity, you know, like in this world, not to be like, well, there's people starving, but like not for nothing. If we can, it, it feels so wrong to be like, I'm going to have the apple. No, thanks. No lunch. No, no, I don't. I don't want any of that delicious food I could have easily. I'm going to have the apple, you know, like there's no nobility in that. So 
I think like having a robust relationship with food actually, and I do have to make this hand movement when I say robust, but I think it, it just goes together. It makes you excited to just live your life, you know? And if sometimes that food includes something that you might have to recover a few days for, or your, you know, your blood sugars go up or you feel puffy or whatever, but it's every now and again, like truly, because you're not thinking about it. That's life. We got incurable illnesses, you know? What are we never going to have a piece of cake? You know, so to not binge, to build this robust relationship with food, you have to take the incorrect, incorrectly placed value in food away. And I mentioned the restriction, but it's not your reward. It's not your punishment. It's not your treat. It is just food, like all food, same playing field. Okay. You can't do that if you don't have good tasting food outside of the foods that you know, right? That you're trying to avoid actively. If that's the best of the best, then, you know? So before you go down that path, you look at your binge triggers. Then once your binge triggers are worked through, then you can start to build that robust relationship with food without something holding you back, okay? So I'm gonna rattle off some of these binge triggers. And then I want, as you guys hear them, I want you to send me an emoji in the chat, okay? If this, if any of these sound like something you experience, right? So convenience foods, like or convenience binging, especially if you didn't eat a lot during the day. It's just laying there, just convenience binging. Convenience binging, even if you did eat because you're curious to taste something. That's me, I'm a big, I, I'm so curious to taste things. Um, I just want to know, I just get FOMO. Like I want all the stimulation, you know, um, celebrations or setbacks, either one good or bad. I've been so good or damn it. I've been bad anyway. Not wanting to be done. This is one for me. This is huge. Not wanting to be done eating before other people are done eating, or just because you're not done. Like you want to still be physically eating. Like, that was good. I ate that too fast. It's gone now. I don't want it to be. And that took a lot of like, that was, I was like really ashamed of that one for a while because I'm like, look, oh my God, what do I got to keep eating? That's ridiculous. But I would feel like anxiety. I don't know. Also, if I am with people, sometimes I wonder how much of it is if you're focused on eating like the hand to mouth maneuver of it all. It's like, I, I got to imagine it's somewhat of a stim in, in public or with a group. Um, I just thought of that before the Zoom. And I was like, you know, if I don't want to finish eating with other people, it's like, what? Because then I'm like just sitting there. Like, what do I do with myself, you know? Um, and that could totally be a binge trigger because then you head into that like, oh, well, I'll try again tomorrow. Or I'm already taking insulin. Why not take some more, you know? Um, okay, then bulk eating, meaning portion control. If I hear portion control, like if I hear you can have six ounces Kiss my, I'm, 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 I'm eating it all, all of it, all of it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even intend to, I don't, I will eat more than I would if you just left it there. I'd probably pick at it if you left it there. But if you tell me you can only have six ounces, I'm going to be like, but I'm, I'm done eating. I'm not done. I'm not ready to be done eating. I finished the six ounces. There's more there. And it creates like an anxiety that then I get pissed off that I can't just go and quell. So here's a, here, here's a polarizing thought to end this list. I don't believe in boredom eating. 
Now you're like, well, you just said you don't want to be done eating yet. That's different. There could be a lot of reasons for that, right? But the, the typical boredom eating, as we're told we usually do, I don't believe in. I think there's lots of stuff we could do if we're bored. I think if we're eating something, it's because we want to eat that thing. I think that's what we want to do at that moment. You know, like, oh no, I can go to my fridge and just mindlessly eat cheese. You're probably hungry. Maybe your blood sugar's dropped. Um, maybe you're seeking dopamine or serotonin from that, but it ain't boredom because there's lots of things you can do. You can go scroll your phone if you're bored. It's something that, that a lot of diet culture has made us try to ignore our hunger cues by telling us you're not hungry, you're bored. No, appetite comes before hunger. And appetite's supposed to be the spark in your eye that makes you want to get up and get food. And it's controlled by a hormone that listens to our patterns of eating. So if we're not listening to that hormone all day, our body's not going to release it anymore. We're going to get home. We're going to shove everything down our pie hole because we're starving. When we want to get up and eat something or we want to be snacking on something, that's because we want to be eating it. It might not be that we're hungry at that moment, but it's not just because like I could think of nothing else to do except consume food. It's because you like the food, you know, plus other stuff. Like sometimes I chew gum because there's something I need. Yeah, 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 exactly. That, that's a stim. So um, like a lot of people chew on pen caps, people chew on some people who have a hard time quitting smoking. A lot of it is the oral fixation. It's the hand to mouth. It's the something, you know, um, and I do believe in that. But the typical diet culture, uh, because it's only slapped on people who are quote unquote overweight, right? Like a thing you use to temper those people. And I just, I just think we're, we deserve to be more complex than just we can't control ourselves around food, you know? We hold down jobs, we maintain homes, we establish relationships with people, we have, are growing, aging, we're children and, uh, you know, siblings and all of these things that are not someone who can't control themselves around food. You know, there's a lot more between these ears than we give credit for. So, <clears throat> Let's see, let's dive into the individuals, right? So not eating all day, what do you think, what, what is the biggest reason you guys who, who fall victim to that binge a lot? Same here, I have to actively make sure I eat this. I eat pretty much the same things like most days because it just makes sure I eat throughout the day. I have no appetite. Um, what do you think your reason is that the whole day will pass you and you don't eat? I get too busy or I just forget. So there's no like, urge. There's no twinkle in the eye to make you be like, I'm in the mood to eat, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's so hard when you're not hungry too. Like if, if at that, you get busy and you forgot. Right. But if someone came up to you at that point, like at 3 PM and they're like, I want you to eat this sandwich. And it was just like a regular sandwich, nothing great. It would be like eating glue, right? Like it would be like, it's like a chore, you know, if you don't want to eat. So it's, we, we, we get busy with other things. We seek dopamine elsewhere. Um, no urge. Mm -hmm. I have to talk all day. This is a good one. And I don't want people watching eat. My coworker thought though today told me I should eat during a meeting. Do you guys, you guys don't get a break at all? Like that you could just like go to your car, make calls, do something. Um, cause I would attach a routine to a routine. If you have, that's like one of my favorite ADHD hacks, not to go off tangent, but I think it's important is 
when we try to establish something to remember it, it's always easier if you attach it to an already established routine. Like the majority of the things I do, I get done either with my morning stuff or at the end of the night with my bedtime stuff, because it is very difficult for me to establish anything during the day that isn't just like a booked appointment. And if nobody else cares, if I miss that appointment during the day, it ain't getting done, you know? So attach a routine to a routine. If you take a break at all, have like, even if it's just a little snack where you would be sitting at your desk in your car, whatever, but just like make that a routine because then your body will get used to those hunger cues. Um, if not, let's text about that because that's a nightmare. Oh my God. Okay. Um, bad at consistently getting groceries. Honestly, that's a big one. Like keeping the things around that I want to eat. That's a big one. Um, so two things I don't, there's a lot of things that I do sometimes. I don't want this is going to sound conceited, but like I take for granted a lot of the things that I do that they're valuable because I've been doing them for so long. So I just assume that other people have thought about it. So if you have already, forgive me, but if you just focus on keeping meats, base meats, pork loin, chicken breasts, whatever in your freezer. Um, and all you focus on attach a routine to a routine in the morning, like when you go brush your teeth or when you do something, pull something out of the freezer, leave it out. When you get home at that point, like this is where having that repertoire of flavorings comes in. You guys usually know I use the same seasonings in rotation in different ways on everything. So we figure out what we're actually eating that night. We just know we have something thawed. What 90% of the time we remember to thought. <laughs> so don't know if you've tried that yet, but it takes a huge load off in terms of having to like meal plan. We have a bunch of sides we can slop together. We have the meat thawed. So everything we make is usually just throw it together at night, depending on what we're in the mood for, like what kind of flavor or texture we want. Um, the kitchen confidence series. I don't know if it's in Spotify, but I do know it's on the page uh, in the classroom. If you look up the kitchen, kitchen confidence series, um, it's all there. I did like six different videos on all the different facets of that. I think it'll be really helpful, but that's a big one. Um, I eat lunch during my break. Okay, good. But I run errands too. I get hungry post-lunch too. I snack throughout the day. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. Sneak when you can. Um, like hide below the desk or something. <laughs> My problem is people put meetings on my schedule and I have no time between meetings some days. Oof, sometimes I actually put five to 15 minutes on my work calendar on my in-office days to remember to eat. Those are my most distracted days. Hmm. Text me about that. I want to find, I want to come up with some kind of strategy for that. Cause that could also be, that, that's gotta be pretty frustrating too. And as we know, frustration equals cortisol, right? So let's see. What else do I have here? Okay, so we've talked about the binge triggers, right? How do we start taking care of this, right? How do we start getting rid of the binging? First step, the scary one, remove restriction. Let yourself go off the rails. I'm gonna say the scary thing. Some of you might be a little bit of weight gain, not forever. Initially, your body has to adjust. If you go from not really eating unless you're binging to now eating whatever you want, it, I mean, not very many of us. I would probably be someone that would from like a solid week of not being, of not like watching what I'm eating, quote unquote, I would, I would probably gain. So if that's you and you're in that same camp, don't be ashamed. Majority of people will not, a week will not derail you. 
honestly. Uh, you might feel a little puffier, you might feel a little bit gross, you know, but it's not gonna be like, it's not gonna really change much. So that there's that. The idea is that that is short-lived on its own, not because you're telling it, okay, I've got to wind it down now. That's just going to prolong it. You want to literally let food not be special anymore. It's the weirdest thing when it happens. Um, my clients, my binge clients who I've gone through this with me are not watching live, but I wish that they were um, to attest to this. Number two, watch food TV shows. I know that sounds crazy. Trust me, you need to observe people enjoying food without wondering what's in it. Don't put on no health food show. No, I don't care if you're watching early 2000s Sandra Lee, but put on food shows, okay? <laughs> you know, you're, you don't have to make everything they're making, but the idea is to just encounter people who are not restricting and, and enjoying and celebrating food. My favorites that I recommend, chopped, those of you who have texted me pictures of your fridge and I've said, let's play Chopped, right? Chopped, Beat Bobby Flay, such a good one. Um, someone, somebody Feed Phil, and these two are on Netflix. Somebody Feed Phil and Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Those on Netflix are amazing. Those are two of my like comfort shows. I'll put them on in the background a lot of times. Um, but it's just like the love of food, you know, the art of food, just witness that more. I, it does something to you, you know, and also it introduces new ingredients that you might be excited to test out and try, or maybe uh, there's a cuisine you see and there's like a new restaurant nearby and that's your next date night. You know, it, you want to create fun around food. And as I'm saying this, you guys are probably sitting there like fun and food, you know, that's what we're working on. <laughs> it doesn't have to be scary. I promise you. I promise you. I abide by this. <laughs> so, um, okay. Salt, acid, fat, heat is just great. Uh, somebody feed Phil is hilarious. He's the, one of the creators of Seinfeld. So I just love it. Um, but he's just like a goofy old guy and he's really cute and he just gives you a new outlook on food. He's not very like fancy or polished in any way, shape or form. He's just enjoying the time, you know? So it's like a non, a non-intimidating food show. Um, and then salt, add. Salt, fat, acid, heat is based on a book. Um, it talks about the different components of good food, which is salt, fat, acid, and heat. Um, and it takes you through all the different regions that feature the different parts. It's just, it's a beautiful show. I love it. And the person who hosts the show, uh, I think it's the author of the book who hosts the show. And she's just adorable. To, to watch her eat is like, you want to hug her. I can't even explain it. And usually I get grossed out when I like Corley, your point, like if I am watching somebody like, you know, like I'm just like, but she's like adorable to watch eat. Um, and not because she's dainty in the least. She's very animated. It's great. So, and you learn a lot. Um, okay. Then aim to create as you start to, to feel it fade where you're not wanting all of the forbidden fruit, you know, when you start to feel that fade, start to ask yourself, like, what would I ideally want to find a, whatever your baby step, low carb or gluten-free or whatever, little by little, like, what would I want to find alternatives? Do not cut out others, just start adding in. So while you're still no holds bar territory, that's when you start adding in things and trying to make things that are actually really freaking good, even though they're whatever your baby step is. Again, you're broadening your food options. You're not restricting. You're not taking them away. You're just giving yourself a lot of options. So you're like, I think I'll have that. 
okay? But the only way this works is if you do the number restriction first. Otherwise, you're just on a diet, right? It's the same thing around and around. Um, put your focus into getting rid of BS, food rules, and fear. It's really hard. This week, I have a little assignment for you guys. I want you to really look out for how many times you narrate your food decisions every day. And if you can, if time allows, energy allows, dopamine allows, jot it down. Jot down some idea like what it is you're internally saying to yourself. Even if you text it to us, whatever you want to do. But I want you to more pinpoint how often this happens, how often you're criticizing your food, being pissed off that you need food, wishing you had a certain food. Just anytime you're narrating your food decisions, I want you to try and jot that down. Put a tick mark, something, okay? Um, uh, sorry, take a mental note. If you can, jot it down, even if you do like a little tick mark or something, okay? Um, okay, to close out, I know I told you guys I was gonna do the binge cohort and I really wanted to, but if I'm being completely real and with myself and with you guys, and I tell you guys to value your, your honest thresholds, right? Um, while I'm tapering off of my meds, I don't wanna have a, a workshop, whatever you wanna call it, where there's a lot of timed commitments because I was so zonked yesterday that I need to be able to chunk out my workload and my calls and everything to coincide with my tapering plan. So it's just not conducive to do one that I'm continuously like meeting with you guys and doing that right now. We will um, once I'm all stabilized and everything. But instead, what I'm going to do, I want to create a WhatsApp chat specifically for binging. And what me and the coaches, we're each going to take turns posting in there different resources and different types of little like fun activities, recipes, stuff like that in there. So we can still create a safe, like supportive environment, but it's just not going to be like a regimented follow through kind of cohort like I had originally planned just because I, I want to be able to deliver that to you guys when it's going to be the best value and my best foot forward. And right now my best forward is this format. So I'm going to post the link for that chat on the page. And then if you guys have any questions at all, um, please feel free to text me. I love hearing from all of you. Um, thank you for your patience. Let me get back to you after yesterday, but yeah, keep me in the loop. Enjoy the rest of your night. Try out this, you know, radical way of just listening to your body and, and maybe you'll be surprised if you need help. We're here. Okay. Bye everyone.